Chapter 43 of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 43 Out Generaled. Madame de Gremont welcomed Maurice that morning with more animation than she invents during her illness. He did not anticipate finding her in the drawing-room, and was even more surprised not to see her in an invalid's dishabille, but dressed for visitors, not reclining, but sitting up almost as stiffly as in the days of her grandeur. He congratulated her upon her convalescence with mingled warmth and astonishment. "'Thank you. I am quite well,' she replied, though her colourless lips and wan, sunken face solemnly contradicted her words. "'How is your father?' This question was asked apparently with newly awakened anxiety, for of late she had made no inquiries, but listened in silence to Maurice's daily report, and turned sullenly from him as though he were responsible for its unfavourable nature." He now answered in an unusually cheerful tone. "'My father is better, much better today, improving fast, I think.' Some of the old triumphant light flashed out of the Countess's black eyes as she ejaculated, "'Thank God! Then he can be brought here at once!' Maurice perceived his mistake too late. He had not foreseen that the Countess would have drawn this conclusion from the intelligence just communicated. "'My dear grandfather, you cannot think of desiring to remove my father at present.' "'Cannot think of it. What other thought fills my mind night and day? He must be removed from that house. I say must. The very instant his life would not be periled by the attempt.' better that it should have been placed in jeopardy than he should have remained there thus long we will talk of this when he is more decidedly convalescent returned maurice perceiving that some generalship must be employed to protect his father i will let you know how he progresses and we will all make the necessary arrangements for his change of abode in due season the countess was too shrewd not to see through this answer, for she was quite competent to return Maurice's move by generalship of her own, for in the battle of life it is the tactics of womanhood oftenest win the day. She allowed the conversation to drop, and Maurice secretly rejoiced at her having, as he supposed, yielded the point. He chatted a while with Bertha, then his eyes chanced to fall upon the salver which Madeleine had prepared. It called to mind her request. "'What have you here? Chocolate? Did you find it well made?' The countess took no notice of the inquiry. "'These are very fine strawberries,' persisted Maurice. "'Did you enjoy them? And these cakes?' He tasted one. "'Used to be favourites of yours.' the countess checked a rising sigh for her aversion to betraying even a passing emotion was insuperable they remind me of Brittany, she said involuntarily you like them then they are to your taste questioned her grandson 
hoping to be able to tell Madeleine that her labors had been rewarded. But the countess answered coldly, I find very little in this country, even though the object be imported, which is to my taste. She did not open her lips again until Maurice was taking his leave. Then she said, Has your father's physician been to see him today? No, he had not come when I left, though it was past his usual hour. Let him know that I wish to see him, ordered the countess. Had Maurice suspected her object, he would not have replied so cordially. I am truly glad that you will accept medical aid at last. You look very feeble. The countess considered such a suggestion an insult, and drew herself up as she replied, You are mistaken. I am far from feeble. Feebleness does not belong to my race. My strength does not forsake me readily. It will last while I last. Still, you may inform your father's physician that I desire to see him. I will send him to you at once. You shall certainly see him today. Thank you. These two words were spoken dryly by the countess, with an emphasis which might have struck Maurice and caused him to suspect her intentions and possibly to frustrate them, had he not been so thoroughly convinced that her own state required medical care, and had he not known that her stoical fortitude made it easier for her to suffer than to admit that she could suffer. Maurice found Madeleine where he had left her. The Count had just awakened, much refreshed. He was softly stroking her head and saying, with the same indistinct utterance, oh, Good angel! Good angel! At the sight of Maurice, the old troubled look passed again over his face, and he whispered hoarsely, He shall never know, never, never, never let him know. It would kill me, kill me. Maurice had told Madeleine how much better he had found his grandmother, and was giving her the gratifying intelligence that Madame de Gremont had said the cakes reminded her of Brittany, the highest praise possible for her to bestow on anything, when the doctor entered. His patient, he said, had made marvelous progress, but that was owing, in a great measure, to the admirable nursing, and he nodded approvingly to Madeleine. If physicians had only at their disposal a train of well-informed, efficient, conscientious nurses to distribute among their patients, medical services might be of some use in the world, but, as it is, we might make a new application of the old proverb that God sends us dinners and the devil sends us cooks who make the dinner valueless. A physician gives his orders and prescriptions, and a careless nurse renders them null. Dr. Bayard was not a man who dealt in compliments, even in a modified form. He was a sagacious, abrupt, straightforward, and at times he spoke his mind rather sharply. He had been impressed by Madeleine's unremitting care of his patient, and, in declaring that the Count's convalescence was, in a large degree, due to her prudence and vigilance, he simply said what he thought. 
I am glad to see that you removed your charge to this room, he continued. Change of scene and of air is always good, when practicable. I recommend a short drive tomorrow. I never keep an invalid in prison one hour longer than is necessary. Maurice delivered his grandmother's message, and Dr. Bayard promised to call upon her before his return home. The claims upon his time, however, were so numerous that it was evening before he reached Brown's hotel. The countess would not, even to herself, have admitted that she could be subject to such an unaristocratic sensation as impatience, but we are unable to hit upon any other word to express the state of unquiet anxiety with which she awaited his coming. He was announced at last. At that hour in the day, it was not unnatural for Dr. Bayard to be in a great hurry to get home to his dinner, and consequently his manners were even more blunt and informal than usual. Without losing a minute, he took a seat in front of the lady whom he supposed to be his patient, looked scrutinizingly into her face, and said, Well, and what's the matter? A touch of fever, I suspect. We shall soon bring that under. Without further ceremony, he placed his fingers on her wrist. The countess drew her hand away, as though something loathsome had dared to pollute her and the bright red fever spot on either cheek deepened into the crimson of wrath. Sir, I am perfectly well. I did not send for you to ask your advice concerning myself. Dr. Bayard drew back in his chair an inch or two, but made no apology. I am the mother of Count Tristan de Gremont, whom you are attending, Dr. Bayard bowed. I hear that he is much better. Much better, was the physician's laconic reply. It would no longer be dangerous for him to be removed from his present most unfit abode, the countess asserted rather than interrogated. Dr. Bayard, in answering the queries of patients or those of their families, did not follow the practice of physicians in general, but adhered to the exact truth. He replied, It would not be dangerous, madame, but it would be unwise, confounded folly, I must say. He is very comfortable where he is, and he has capital care. I do not believe there is another such nurse as Mademoiselle Melanie in Christendom. If fiery arrows ever flash from human eyes, as some who have felt their wound declare they do, such darts flew fast and thick from the eyes of the countess as she regarded him. Sir, it is not a question of nurses. A mother is the fittest person to watch beside her son. Dr. Bayard differed with her but did not give her the benefit of his private opinion. As Count Tristan is in a state to be removed, I will give orders to have him brought here tomorrow. I suppose it is too late tonight, observed the Countess. I have already said that I do not see the necessity of his being moved at all until he is perfectly restored. 
persisted the doctor. It is enough that I see it, remarked the countess frigidly. I believe my inquiries only extended to asking your medical opinion as to the danger, not to the propriety of moving my son. Then I have nothing more to say, replied the physician, rising. I have already stated that his removal, if advisable in other respects, would not be dangerous. Allow me to wish you a good evening. Though Dr. Bayard's visit had highly irritated Madame de Gremont, exultation prevailed over all other emotions. Bertha had been present during the interview, and, albeit, she was filled with grief at the prospect of Madeleine's sorrow and mortification, she had not the moral courage to remonstrate. The countess was up betimes on the morrow. It may be that her strength had really returned. It may be that excitement supplied its place. But there was no recurrence of the feebleness which she had not been able to wholly conceal on the day previous. Before Bertha was dressed for breakfast, her aunt had sent to borrow her writing desk. Having no correspondence, the countess did not travel with one of her own and Bertha experienced a heart-sickening foreboding at the request. When she entered the drawing-room, Madame de Gremont was writing slowly and elaborately, as though she was preparing some document which was to pass into the hands of critical judges, but she never wrote in any other manner. A hasty, impulsive dashing-off of words and ideas would have lacked dignity. The whole character of the haughty lady might easily have been read in the stiff but elegant hand, the formal and carefully constructed phrases, the icy tenor of her simplest missive. She folded the note, told Bertha where to find her seal with the de Gremont arms, impressed it carefully upon the melted wax, desired Bertha to ring the bell, and bade her send the note at once to Maurice. The Count would not have stooped to name to the servant the residence of the mantua-maker. Though Madame de Gremont expected that her command would be instantly obeyed, she was too little used to attend to household matters or bestow a thought upon the comfort of others to give any orders concerning her son's room or even to reflect that additional care in its preparation was needed for an invalid. Count Tristan had passed the best night with which he had been favoured since his attack. He had slept so uninterruptedly that Gaston and Mrs. Lawkins, whose turn it was to replace Madeleine and Maurice, had followed the invalid's example and travelled with him to the kingdom of Morpheus. In the morning, he expressed a desire to rise. The first words he uttered showed that his articulation was clearer. Madeleine had arranged the pillows in his armchair and placed it where he could look into the conservatory. He walked into the boudoir, supported only by Maurice. There was a rare amount of stamina, a wondrously recuperative power in the de Gremont constitution, as was manifested by both mother and son. When the Count was comfortably seated, 
Madeleine placed before him a little table with his breakfast so neatly arranged that merely to look at it gave one an appetite. She served him herself, and the tranquil pleasure he felt in receiving what he ate from her hands was unmistakable. His own hands were still weak and numb, and she cut up the delicate broiled chicken and broke the bread disposed his napkin carefully and then steadied the cup of chocolate which he tried to carry to his own lips maurice stood watching her just as he always did for it was difficult for him to remove his eyes from her face when she was present though in truth when she was absent he saw her before him hardly less distinctly the trio was thus agreeably occupied when the note of the countess was placed in the hands of maurice his consternation vented itself in an irrepressible groan which made madeleine and the count look up the latter trembled with alarm and his haunting fear came back he asked in a terrified tone what has happened what do they want what would they make you believe no harm of me you won't you won't here's madeleine will make all right do not trouble yourself said madeleine soothingly there are no business matters to fret you now her sweet quieting voice or the assurance calmed him and he repeated once more for the thousandth time good angel good angel it is a note from my grandmother said maurice biting his lips she has seen dr bayard and insists on carrying out certain views of hers and she informs me that she has his permission to do so Madeleine had not nerved herself against this blow. It felt heavily upon her, and she could not once resign the precious privilege of ministering to her afflicted relative. And she could not hope that the Countess would allow her to approach him if he were removed to the hotel. Surely she will not be so cruel. It will harm him. It will retard his recovery i will see her at once and try what argument and remonstrance can do replied maurice and he set forth on his difficult mission a moment's reflection convinced madeleine that if the countess had received the doctor's consent she would prove inexorable there was no resource but to submit as patiently as possible count tristan must be reconciled to the change and to effect that was the task now before her. She tried to break the news gently. She told him his mother had not seen him of late because she had been ill, and now, hearing he was so much better, she desired him to return to the hotel that he might be nearer to her. The Count answered peevishly, No, no, I'll not go. I'm better here, better with you, my good angel. But if Madame de Gremont is determined, said Madeleine, I have no right, no power to resist her authority. Can I not stay? Let me stay, he pleaded pathetically. I would be only too thankful if you could, but you know the wishes of the Countess cannot be disregarded. I cannot go back. It will kill me if I go back i am better here i am safe with you i'll not go back he seemed so much distressed that madeleine dismissed the subject by saying maurice has gone to see his grandmother 
we need not torment ourselves until he returns the count was easily satisfied and the remembrance of his troubles soon faded from his mind madeleine asked him if she should sing and he nodded a pleased assent she could not give voice to any but the saddest melodies for a sorrowful presentiment that she would never sing to him again filled her mind she continued to charm away his cares by the witchery of her accents until maurice returned the result of his advocacy was quickly told the countess was inflexible and awaited her son End of chapter forty three